Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. The whole place was laughing. They're laughing in our country. We don't want anyone to laugh. Nobody laughed at our country when I ran it, I can tell you that. Yeah, they were scared. <laughs> I met a bunch of, I had a speech gig in Europe with a bunch of famous families, names you've heard of, like Rothschild, and they were pounding the table like, "What? when When did the clown shoes take over America? You're scaring the hell out of us. Yeah, I think there were some Americans who said, yeah, who's going to tell them? That's what I want to know. He's lost none of his charm. There, he's out on the stump right now, electrifying the country. Mike, it reminds me of the. It reminds me of the scene from Facing the Crowd. You know, when he leaves yeah. the mic on. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Trump ought to get a guitar. You know, with up his act a little. <laughs> so that voice you heard, we should say that voice you heard. There's a hat on top of that voice, and that can only mean one thing: the immortal, the fantastic. The insightful Mark McKinnon is with us. Private first class hackeroo reporting for duty. Exactly. Sir. From the circus. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, I want to tell you guys, I am in New York to cover the unprecedented indictment of a former president of the United States. I flew across the country to be here for this event and like nothing happened. I'm stuck here with you two jamokes. <laughs> well, it's been a great case study of the drum roll, please. All right. With yeah. cable news just going out of their mind. All right. We're going to have an indictment. There's going to be gunfire between the Secret Service and the state authorities. And the National Guard is on standby for, frankly, a civil war. Back to you. And then, you know, so it, it's been a it's been a parody. It's been uh, it's been scoop. Isn't it a case study also in how. Trump has the world on a string. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, he he's box office. So Absolutely. There you go. He started it all by by announcing that he was going to be uh, indicted and arrested last Tuesday, which was brilliant. Okay? It was in my view, I mean I've caught, I said it before the guy's a feral genius because all the Republicans quickly fell in in uh, Pavlovian fashion. Yeah. They 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 healed and yeah, sent letters to the uh, district attorney to come testify at Congress about his ongoing investigation. And he positioned himself as the victim. I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday. It's like this is, you know, we're in some uh, banana republic and the former president's going to be marched before the cameras. And It's a coup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and uh, the one thing about this guy, and it's this isn't exactly news, but. You know, he's got that Roy Cohn thing, never concede anything and always attack. And it's worked pretty well for him. And he's doing it again, Murphy. Well, he also knows his dance partner, you know, the news media. It's a business. So it's like a porn star. Gee, you think you want to get drunk and have sex? You know, <laughs> and they, I don't, never hear a no. Um, <laughs> it, that said, it's legit news. So I, I got to make just a political point. Part of the ridiculousness of the three things he's being looked at for the squeezing the elected officials of Georgia to invent votes to of steal course. the election and the January 6th, you know, sedition. This deal, this is a jaywalking ticket, and to lead with it does open it up for the circus to have a flashy day. Uh, and it's not politically so good for the Dems, even though they don't control it, to lead with the shakiest, weakest one by a factor of 500. I'm sure he's guilty as hell. He's unfit. You don't need a trial to know that. But <laughs> but that adds a dimension where you can make a political attack on it, cover your ass with Trump if you're a Republican, but not be totally wrong simultaneously. Now, when you say the circus will be whatever, is that was that like a that was a toss? I think for, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was McKinnon. clever subtext. It was on one level the the elephant shit circus that is Trump Incorporated. On another level, we're trying to nudge people to Showtime to see the remarkable circus television show. Eight o'clock Sunday nights Eastern. <laughs> <laughs> but McKinnon, I agree with everything Murphy just said, and I do think Trump is. I mean, you know, very clearly uh, this. Uh, you know, Stormy Daniels was paid off. Trump paid Michael Cohen. Um, Trump doesn't throw money around uh, willingly. Uh, I mean, with, uh, everything is there. I mean, this is right. But it seems like a gift 
to Trump, who wants to color all the investigations yeah, politi as politically motivated. Sure. And and let and let me just make this last point. And I, in this particular case, Alvin Bragg got his ass kicked. The DA in New York when he kicked an earlier case against Trump. It was a huge problem for him. Uh, and so when people say there, you know, there are political motivations here. Um, you know, I mean, I know this is, I don't want to get seized, this seized on by the Trumpies as a kind of a validation of their thing, because he is guilty of this. But it's also true that Bragg has, whether he wins or loses the case, he probably felt pressure to bring it. Yeah, no question. Of the, There's really four big cases out there. There's this one, there's the, the Jan 6, there's the the Georgia case, and which is related to Jan 6, but then there's the uh, documents case too. So, and if I'm on Trump's team and say, which one would you, you, these are coming down the pike, which one do you want first? And this is just, it's, it's riddled with so many issues and problems of, you know, it was dropped before by the state and the feds, and now it's coming back. And why is it coming back? Well, so, Michael Cohen as your lead witness. Your lead witness, who's a, you know, a, a, is, is the rat of all rats, you know, and so uh, it's problematic on so many fronts. Um, and so the, if you're Donald Trump, that's the one you want because you can attack it on so many fronts, which is exactly what they're doing. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I, getting to sort of the big political thing, which is, you know, is this good, bad for Donald Trump? Well, if I'm a strategist, I'd say, yeah, listen, in, in terms of what's happening with DeSantis, uh, you know, looming uh, uh, largely on the sidelines, yeah, this is great. It, it rallies the troops. But, you know, my advice would be, you know, for the general election, let's let's see if we can stack up four indictments on us. So we'll be a twice impeached, four times indicted yeah, exactly. candidate running for the general election. And to my Democratic friends, I said, this this is the biggest gift possible because probably anybody could beat you except a, you know, four time indicted former president, you know, who lost it all last time. So listen, and the other thing I'll just say about this is that yeah, the the DA thing is going to happen, but all all this other stuff's going to roll up pretty quickly. So this will be in the rearview mirror, and it'll be a guy saddled with you know not just one, but uh, you know several or four indictments. Yeah, I think that's the rub, the repetitiveness, because the first one, the Republican voter street talk will be, oh wait a minute, some liberal New York City DA is after him for politics on a sex scandal. Boy, why didn't they indict Clinton for his sex scandal? You know, yeah. this is all rigged, yada yada yada. But the analogy I use is like breaking into Mike Tyson's house. The first thing that happens is this chihuahua may bite you on the foot, unpleasant. Then Tyson shows up. And so by the end of it, you got more than one punch mark on you. And that's what's coming for Trump. So I, I believe it's short-term political calories for him, kind of sugar calories. But as this wheel grinds on, it amplifies Trump's fundamental problem, which is to that Republican street talk. He looks like a stone-cold loser, and that's why we've seen the decline in the polling and why so many people are looking at running against him in the primary. McKinnon, you guys were down at the rally. Were you there personally? Uh, John was there. He fits in better. He's got that Trumpy vibe. Yeah. yeah. He was caught looking for some foie gras down there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, is, uh, was Trump uh, – I mean, he, it struck me that he seemed very comfortable – in the middle of this maelstrom down there. And he clearly, clearly, clearly was trying to fashion the whole thing as what you said, Murphy, a coup. Let's listen to just a little bit of what he said down there. So we have to stop them from cheating in elections because if we don't win this next election, 2024, I truly believe our country is doomed. I think it's doomed. Prosecutorial misconduct is their new tool, and they are willing to use it at levels never seen before in our country. We've had it, but we've never had it like this. We must stop them, and we must not allow them to go through another election where they have yet another tool in their toolkit. So there you have it. I mean, he's trying to frame the whole thing as not just a way of stopping him, but a way of stopping his supporters. Uh, from expressing themselves. Uh, and uh, <coughs> here's what I think, Murphy. I think it creates, I think he is um, cementing his base and also cementing his ceiling. And I don't think his base is going to go away. The question is, how low is the ceiling? Uh, 
And is it enough for him to win a primary? And the story of the last year has been his base slowly shrinking. And so, you know, we got, I'm reading all the CW now, and we're going to talk about it. Oh, DeSantis is over. You know, Trump Trump has, quote, beat DeSantis in the sleazy insult world because, you know, DeSantis said, I don't know anything about bribing porn stars, and Trump did as well. People are talking. You know, they're telling me DeSantis, young girls, terrible things, you know, handcuffs. Boy, it's awful, awful what I'm hearing. But that's what people are. So and he'll be doing that to all of them. You know, he'll have a, a riff like that on, 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 on all of them. But boy, it looks to me like a fire that's burning its fuel away and getting hot but small. Uh, and we're seeing that's the question of the Republican primaries. Let's see in that Iowa caucus, by the way, forget the national polls. He got 25 percent last time, came in second. Let's see what the what the Trump base will be in the first contest, which will drive a lot of the talk. I, I think that's a really great point that Mike is making that, uh, you know, everybody gets so seduced by the national polling and and it just doesn't matter until Iowa. And it, it, yep. it I mean, it was one thing when he ran second as a first-time candidate, but as a former president, right? Uh, suppose, supposedly dominant of the party, if he doesn't blow that away, it's going to be a huge story. Yeah. Well, he uh, uh, and Iowa obviously is a ways away. And so, uh, some of these, as you guys point out, some of these indictments will stack up between now and then. I just, you know, I mean, I literally have gone broke betting against this guy. Murphy, I know how much you despise him. I know how much you want to recover. Re- Re, your, you know, recover your party from this sorry period. Yeah, I, no, no, no. We we've had this for years. Your theory is I'm drunk on my hopes. My theory is a lot of smart Democrats <laughs> are drunk on hoping it's Trump just because they need somebody Biden can beat. Uh, and and so all sides have a have a a, a bias. I'm not one of those. I'm just making a clinical judgment. <laughs> I there's no doubt that in the end of the day. Uh, that this aggregation of stuff is, uh, I think, does doom Trump in terms of his aspirations to return to the presidency. I think it's going to be very tough for him uh, to do that as well, especially if he's indicted and convicted of felonies. But, uh, but I just, it, I mean, I guess my question is more about the Republican Party as it exists today than it is about Trump. And that is just how you, you know, I don't know if that base is shrinking. I don't, I have not seen it. Well, may we, be sh- we need a primary campaign. You're right. Right. Because it's a pair of opinions from guys with microphones right now. So next week, I think we're up, you and I, we're going to announce our mega bet on will Trump be the nominee. We're going to, we're going to come up with some colorful big bet. So we're, we're going to settle this thing once and for all. Um, cause well, I don't know if I want to commit to that, but I will think about it over the course of the week because you are a <laughs> slick dude and I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to gamble with you. <laughs> well, it turns out you're off the hook as usual. Chicago style this has been rigged. It's Gibbs next week, but when we're back on, we're come up and maybe odds. You know, I might I might give you a point or two on those. Right. We're, two weeks. We're from talk now. to our our friends in Vegas and cook up some fair some fair line on Trump as as nominee. Just to put a button on the whole New York situation, uh, I think Bragg is so far down the road here that he almost has to move forward. Doesn't he? I mean, it would be kind of, everybody sort of thinks maybe next week before the holidays, then Trump can fit it into his resurrection theme for Easter week. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, but, uh, I mean, the uh, best thing for the Democrats and for Bragg, I think, is he slow walks it and he prays something else comes down first. And then, then he's a side guy. That, would, that just, would be the best possible outcome. Yeah, and really. I don't know if he can get that outcome, but he might have to triple check Stormy Daniels' testimony. You know, anything he can to not back down while not being the lead lead dog here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so DeSantis, you mentioned DeSantis uh, and all of the – here's my thing on DeSantis, and I've been saying it for a long time, and, and you guys are both veterans of presidential campaigns, and you know this. It is a – pressure test it is it is the uh, longest oral exam in you know the world and you're being scrutinized every day and when you start at the top you're being scrutinized even more closely and the fact of the matter is that you know he he was an idealized candidate for all you and you know for all you uh, not you murphy because you've been sort of pushing other names but the whole ukraine thing 
the sort of plasticity of his presentation. One of the things that struck me watching Trump is whatever he looks like, he doesn't look like a politician. He doesn't come across like a politician mm-hmm. to his supporters. Uh, DeSantis does. I mean, he looks, you know, he's parsing stuff. He's, uh, you know, uh, he, he just looks like a politician. And and the open question on DeSantis is, does he have the chops to play at this level? And I don't know that we've, you know, I think there are some questions about that. I, I think that's a I think it's the right question. Does he have the chops? And you, you never know until you take the big stage. And it's a, as, as we all know, it's a whole different equation. But I do think that, and we'll see, we'll see. Uh, can he handle the spotlight? But he's got a lot of other stuff to keep him in the game. He's got a ton of money. He's got a ton of sort of, you know, high level donor support. He's got, he's got a killer squad now, like Jeff Rowe and others who are, uh, teaming up on this uh are getting getting on the in the in the posse now so i think they're kind of built for the long haul even though they're going to hit some blitz like this but to your i mean the one thing we know is that you got to you know just fade the blitz and lock in and roll and and i think they're kind of built for a long run yeah my take on it has been and so listeners have heard it before first i agree with david running for president my analogy is it's like ten thousand car washes you know we're about seven car washes <laughs> in and somebody in DeSantis world left a window open but <laughs> but, he, but you know the water can dry out of that beautiful faux suede interior eventually um i've always seen him the only fact we know about him is he was proof of concept. Two years ago in the Republican Party, you start talking seriously about running for president and you'd be killed in your sleep. Now there is wide open. And DeSantis was the first one to exist. And at least in the preseason before any voters show up, prosper a bit. So it's it, he was a proof of concept. You can There's a, a strong possibility to have somebody run against Trump for the nomination. Now, what we don't know is does he have unfixable candidate problems? And that's the talk because the execution out of the box, which is the most important execution to the press and pundits and the sideline mob, but the least important to the voters, has been very rocky. But I'm kind of with Mark. I think he has the ingredients with some good management. And, you know, the Republican gossip world is full of talk about how dysfunctional his world is. He's brought in some smart guys like Roe. Uh, I think Phil Cox is around there, others, yeah. mm-hmm. but they may all be in the super PAC. And I can, you know, super yeah. PACs can't talk to the, except in Trump world, which will be the fifth uh, indictment, uh, can't really talk. Trump's never going to be able to sit around saying, that's my money. I've got to tell him what to do with it, <laughs> sir. It's illegal. And then, hey, Jeff Miller, get in here, put on this dress, go meet in the parking garage. I hope the feds are ready for all that because he's going to, he's going to make trouble. But anyway, DeSantis has time for a 2.0 comeback. You, you guys all know. The fourth quarter in Iowa is where the thing really starts. Now, that said, I think it's a smart bet to look at the long shots now who are not yes. Trump and not DeSantis because I yes. don't know if the second look goes good for DeSantis, he'll be back in. If it doesn't, fickle donors, a lot of stuff can change, and then then we get drama too. So we don't know yet is the bottom line. Well, even if he does go well, I mean, Iowa's just a different cat, especially on the Republican side, you know? Yep. And, yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's look back at the guys who've been winning Iowa and it's, you know, Huckabee, it's Cruz. It's, I mean, that's a prime place for somebody like Tim Scott to suddenly blossom. One little point on Iowa, we did a special on it with David Kochel last week. Gibson and I did, and we did, he's a longtime Iowa hack. I've worked with him forever. Keep in mind, there's a little functional hiccup in the Iowa caucus right now, which is the Democrats were so screwed up last time they've killed it. Well, it's culturally a big thing in Iowa. So you got 100,000 Democrats who are wondering, where's our caucus? Like the New Hampshire primary mm. with Indies, there could be some bleed over. So instead oh, of being 40% Christian, it could be 30 in the end. Huh. You know, don't know what that factor will be. People in the party are talking about trying to stop it. Good luck culturally in Iowa having guards at the door <laughs> at, at, at a bunch of caucuses checking your voter history. So anyway, uh, the, the Iowa caucus is big. If you didn't hear us last week, it's worth a replay, listeners. We we just got to watch it. But DeSantis is showing weakness, no doubt about it. But he has time and money and platform to either fix it or circle the drain. We just won't know till the late summer. I've said it before. He's methadone for people who are trying to quit the Trump habit. <laughs> you know, he and, and you know, I, I don't discount the assets he has. And, you know, Jeff Rowe going over to the pack, I think, was a great thing for him. Jeff's been on the show 
former cruise manager and done a lot of Young big kids, races too. around the country. Yeah, well, he he uh, basically, it certainly sends a signal about what he thinks about Glenn Youngkin as a presidential candidate because he was the guy behind Youngkin's election in Virginia. Uh, I think all of that is to the good. At the end of the day, the question is whether you have it or do, you don't. Uh, you know, you can build the greatest campaign that we've seen, you know, yep. from John Glenn to, uh, you know, there's yep. a long history right. of candidates who uh, who win in uh, the year before the election and then lose uh, in, in the election year. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, your point, uh, Mike, about the you can't talk to the super PAC. It's not clear to me that uh, DeSantis wants to talk to anybody but his wife about his <laughs> politics. Well, look, that's what Republican hack world. There are people in the Sanders world who use a word like Stalingrad to des- describe at least the last hundred days uh, because he doesn't like consultants. She doesn't like consultants. She has the point of view of being a mid-market local TV anchor. Uh, that, that's got to grow up fast. Or he can't ride the the bucking bronco. So I think that's a really important point worth spending a minute on, which is that there's so many factors involved. I mean, the, it's a, it's a yes, Mike calls it a, you know two you know, hundred car washes. It's an acid bath, and uh, there's so many tests uh, that are put on the candidate in the campaign. But one of the key things that a uh, that a campaign and a candidate for president has to do is is to delegate a lot. Yep. Uh, and DeSantis doesn't delegate at all. I mean, that's a real, a lot of talk about that and apparently a, a lot of reality about it. And I mean, just as a one anecdote, I heard that there was like a, you know, a deputy scheduler who was applying for a job there and had to go through like seven hour and a half interviews with Casey DeSantis. Right, uh, right. You know, it, one of those deals, like, you know, she- How like, do you feel about cutting to the weather report early or late <laughs> in the show? Sorry, Mrs. DeSantis. Cheap shot. I don't know what McCain was like as a candidate, but good candidates understand their role and understand the role of their campaign, and they function as a kind of CEO of the or a chairman of the board of the campaign. So they set the direction. Uh but they have faith in the people around them, and when things get off course, then they come. We all, you all, come together and try and work it through. Obama was very good at that, and it's one of the reasons why we were successful. I suspect Bush was good at it. Let me give you a good example of that. I mean, Bush was, you know, very, very thoughtful and very you know, strong convictions about what he wanted to say and what he believed in. But he said. Here's what I believe. Here's what I want to say. McKinney, you're the media guy. You go do it. You, you're, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to make ads. I'm not a great communicator. And in the course of two presidential campaigns, and I don't know, a couple hundred ads at least, we might have like had a discussion or debate about two of them. I mean, it's like, that's what you do. You go do what you do best. That's not right. my you know, wheelhouse. Go. I guarantee you, Casey DeSantis has, you know, she's making the ads. And we know that from the God Jesus ad that you guys may remember. Yeah, no, no. She's she, point is, I totally agree with all this. The other DeSantis cultural challenge is they don't really know. They're doing dime store Trump. And you're not going to beat Trump by being Trump super light. Because Trump can always he can go crazier on Ukraine. He, he can he can always outbid you on that. So you gotta find your beyond Trump smile, gold watch, moving on shtick. And he's got culture warrior, but he doesn't seem to yep. find anything else. He's self-limiting because there's no message strategy. So anyway, we'll be back to this topic a hundred times. The one last word on this. What he has to find is who he is. Every one of the guys we mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Obama, Bush, McCain 2000, not 2008, uh, which is why he had such a hard time. Wasn't there. Not me. I know. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, McCain had to make so many concessions to yeah, the party. Yeah, no, he was always uncomfortable being the, the, the front runner of the Republican establishment. Didn't fit him well. Right. But uh, the point is. The, the non-negotiable quality that you have yep. to do to win a presidential race is authenticity. And that is what I can't see, what I don't know about DeSantis. What is his default position? What are the things, what are the principles that he actually believes and feels? Yeah. Uh, not, what he, not what he thinks he needs to be to win this particular election, but what does he actually believe and what does he, and you know, I, I don't know yet. 
We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And he may not know yet either. Yeah. So that, that is the open question. For fear of getting hooted, I don't know how you guys are going to react to this, right, but I was intrigued hoot. by Chris Christie up in New Hampshire. <laughs> I thought I was jumping that transition too. Let's let's just listen to Christie up in New Hampshire uh, when he when he sort of let loose on on Trump. You better have somebody on that stage who can do to him what I did to Marco, <laughs> because that's the only thing that's going to defeat Donald Trump. And Who could that, that be? That means you got to have the skill to do it, and that means you have to be fearless because he will come back and right at you. Yeah, who could that be? Who could be like him against Marco? It would be a fun fight because Trump will do that. You know, people in Jersey, they're talking. Christie, Shetland ponies. That's all I'm going to say for now, but there's a lot of talk going on. You know, and then Christie will go back. And, and, and a lot of I, fat I think jokes. it may get very, oh, it'll be endless. It'll be endless. We'll see. I think it'll be fun for about two innings, and that people may hate both of them. I don't know, but I mean, it, it very clearly, uh, McKinnon, he's choosing a lane here and he's, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's what his, that's what his brand is. He's the brawler. And, and, you know, uh, and uh, I, but the question is, do you beat a brawler with a brawler or is it something completely different? Exactly. I wonder about kind of referencing how he pummeled Marco. It seems a little too celebratory about oh, you know totally. his ability to annihilate people on a debate it's, it was more about the sport than the principle it sounded like so if you deconstruct his pitch it's like you want to beat an asshole get a bigger asshole like me <laughs> so at the end of it people may think to mark's point you know maybe we ought to not get an asshole so i think he can hurt trump whether or not he can help himself yeah i'm dubious now here's a guy who I don't know how well he delegates, but his instinct is to play to his strength and grab the microphone. Yeah, he's a performer. Yeah, he's an insult comic. So he's like, all right, remember what I did to little Marco Rubio? Let me do it to Trump. Christie knows how to make noise. Now, and the other problem, you look at his biography, it's like Trump's right hand slash one thing I can't stand is Donald Trump, which all of a sudden makes his mode of revenge and his own ego and everything. A lot of, lot of limits to Chris Christie, but, you know, it, it's an interesting pitch and he's going to try. He's a good performer, and he understands the lane that's open, and he could take advantage of that. But, but I mean, it's, but it's sort of it gets back to your authenticity question. You know, yeah. Who is he really? And, and here's a good example. I mean, you know, he, he made all this big news by popping Trump yesterday, which he knows. And so if we call him and said, hey, why don't you get on the show this, you know, this week? And he's like, all you guys want to do is talk about Trump. Well, not the reason we're calling you is because you talking about Trump. Right, yeah, right. no, that, no. Listen, you if you're going to ride that horse, you got to ride it all the way. When Christie does speak. You don't get the sense that he's inauthentic. You get the sense that he's your unfiltered grandpa. He'll tell you right. what he's thinking. Right. That's always been his shtick. And uh, so I don't know. I think it's a very long shot. But first of all, he was the first one who had the stones to go out there and actually take a big, solid whack at Trump and say what everybody knows, which is this guy would be a terrible load if he ever became the nominee of the party. And- we got to get past this stuff. Yeah, and I think that's what he really thinks. And if, if and if he's willing to be the stone thrower, if he's willing to be the you know the David, then then there's a lane there. I got to tell a mid story out of school. So I sneak into New Hampshire for a secret meeting with him. I'd run his governor's race for close, and he was trying to figure out VP. So we ran through all the candidates, Ann and he. And he said, you know, we're looking at Chris Christie and there's kind of some excitement. I go, oh, boy, he'd be the best attack dog. But remember, if you win, you own Chris Christie. <laughs> Just a look on his face <laughs> as he thought about that. So I, I don't know. The thing to remember, I hope he runs just for the entertainment value. He'd be good on the debate stage. I'll say he, that. He would, he would be great, though. Now he has huge expectations if he doesn't kill Trump in the first debate. What happened to Super Christie? But, you know, he took a bullhorn through New Hampshire for 100 events and he didn't get arrested. You know, that magic has been tested in other ways. And boy, that that Iowa caucus, I can see the Tim Scott route. I can see a Yunkin route. I can I, I can see a better DeSantis. The Christie route is how to maybe he tries our old McCain thing and just does New Hampshire. Just but does New I agree Hampshire, with you. Yeah. Uphill. Uphill. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. I don't know about you, but I am completely in love with my dog. Harry Truman once said, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Well, 
I agree with that uh, because they are the best friends you can have. Mine is named Mac, and uh, I want him to be around for as long as he can. I want him to be happy and healthy. And so what you feed your dog actually matters. Did you know that a dog eating kibble every single day is like a human consuming a diet of 100% processed foods? It doesn't matter what your species is. This is not optimal nutrition. So that's where Mave Raw Food for Dogs comes in. It's formulated by PhD veterinary nutritionists with real human-grade ingredients, the food, not the nutritionists, uh, that you can name just by looking. Plus, it's bite-sized and ready for your dog to eat right out of the bag. No mess, no prep, just open, pour, and enjoy. Dogs need unprocessed, high-protein, low-carb diets that kibble and fresh foods just don't deliver. Mave is a protein-rich raw food for dogs that is just as easy as kibble, and it's supplemented for seven essential health benefits, including gut health, immune function, oral hygiene, uh, always important, skin and coat health, hip and joint health, mental health, mental health, and anxiety and growth and early development. I might start eating this food. Mave supports benefits you can smell, feel, and see from better breath and reduced itching and shedding to regular bowel movements and maintaining a healthy weight. Most dog parents see results in 28 days or less in the dog, not the parents. That's why people love Mave. They have over a thousand five-star reviews, and so do their dogs, especially those notorious picky eaters. Make the switch to raw today. Right now, Mave is offering $40 off your first order at meetmave.com slash hacks. Go to meetmave.com slash hacks. Now that's spelled M-E-E-T-M-A-E-V. To receive $40 off your first order, that's meetmaev.com slash hacks. We would be remiss if we did not talk about what happened this week in Nashville. And I know in some ways it sounds, it's so repetitive by now to say mass shooting what happens next interestingly unlike the last you know the uvalde shooting which was obviously on a larger scale uh there was immediate sort of recognition something has to be done mcconnell told uh, uh cornyn go make a deal with murphy let's do something we'll lose the suburbs i'm sure was on his mind if we and and that was smart it was good it was good politics for them to do that, and it was the right thing to do. This time, everybody from the president on down said, we're not getting anything more uh, through Congress. And I guess the question, you know, and McCarthy and wouldn't comment on any of it and so on. Uh, I, I'm not asking for moral judgments here. I have my own feelings about this, which is it's, this is an American scourge. But what about the politics of this? And is there a price to be paid? Because uh, I have a feeling that the Republican losses last November had a lot to do with a mix of things, not just one thing. Abortion was a piece of it. Uh, you know, uh, election denial was a piece of it. And I think all of this gun violence that we saw last year, these mass shootings were a piece of it. And there was a sense of extremism. Well, I think that the difference, on, as you sort of note here, David, is that, you know, at least before there was at least, even if it was just a dance, there was sort of like, well, let's talk, let's see what we can do. There's, you know, and, and even Trump, you know, for a while dialed in after uh, uh, one of the major shootings and that there was going to be, you know, uh, okay, we'll talk about, you know, some of these reasonable uh, steps that we can take. And this time everybody's just waving the white flag. It's just like, nah, can't do anything. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to accept it. And that's, that's kind of the shift here, which is, it'd be interesting to see the political, you know, potential consequences of that surrender, you yeah. know, just say that eh, it's just, you know, it's just the price of freedom, dead kids. That'll be the question. I mean, on one, it's also heartbreaking and evil. There's no policy answer that really truly works, but there are a lot of, well, you know, you can send the army door to door and pick up the hundred million guns we have in the country. Hard to put that back in the bottle. It's, you know, you could get a lot tougher on mental health profiling. That would have an impact. That's really hard to do. But the politics of it is 
it, it becomes useful for the, the cause machine in each party. And the question is, will the cause machine on the Democratic side of do something that will make you feel better about this because it's so heartbreaking, will that expand? I, I, the practical experience I've had with it, when, when Pat Toomey ran in some trouble for reelection, we did the IE for Bloomberg. And the Toomey people will tell you if you liquor them up that is what saved them. Everything was Philly media market. Everything was suburban women, and the only Republican brave enough to do something sensible about guns. Now, you know, eight million of that just in Philly, and it worked. So it can be a swing cause, uh, a swing issue in, in certain places that'll hobble the Republican coalition. Now, whether that can all be put together, there's a lot of people. We have a cultural gun fetish in America, and there are a lot of people who, who who vote the generic, which is I want a right to my weapon. But there are slivers uh, outside the Democratic base that will move on this. So I think that's going to be tested this time. First of all, it's, it's not 100 million weapons. It's probably 350 million weapons, more than one for every man, woman, and child, which is well, why I'm, we have I'm not export. counting that blunderbush you've got from 1882. <laughs> you know, But yes, there are a lot of them. For the cost of one aircraft carrier, we could drag a lot of $10,000 checks through a lot of places and pick up a lot of assault weapons, that policy. But but in America, you get a political consensus to do that? Hard. There has been some th- things have been done. Connecticut has had some success in, in reducing its gun violence by doing some things. I think there are policy things that can be done. It's very hard to do nationally because of the culture issue, as you point out. It's become something more than just about guns. It has become a tribal thing. And uh, so I think it's really hard to do anything about it. I mean, to me, it's the most confounding public policy issue that I've dealt with in my political career and lifetime as I watch it because I'm part of, you know, I'm part of a group that's like, you know, gun owners for reform, which just the reason I mentioned that is because the public policy is so out of whack with the the public opinion on this issue. It's for meaningful reforms, red flag laws and, and, and other just totally sensible things. You know, the the support for that is above 80 percent. Universal background right, check. Right, popular with a majority of Republicans. Among gun owners and among Republicans. Yep. So I've just never seen anything so out of whack. And, you know, as we look back historically to see, you know, how that happened in the whole NRA evolution. And, and, and I mean, I, I, my hope is that with the, you know, sort of bankruptcy of the NRA, that maybe that helps. Right. They're weaker now than they've ever been. There's a civil war inside the NRA and they've never been weaker. Great Um, series, by the way, this week in the Washington Post on the history of the AR-15, which was, of course, used in this tragedy in in Nashville. Yeah, including graphic illustration of what, what, you know, what Uh, what it does. And you think about these beautiful kids torn apart. I was at my uh, grandkids, uh, one of my my grandson uh, got a, a little class award in his school and there was an assembly and I was there you know and I saw these six-year-olds and they were just little angels and I couldn't help thinking when I heard this news from Nashville about them and I'm sure everybody did here's the second thing McKinnon we're talking about Iowa I'm looking at your room it seems (laughs) pretty plain bland and so on and and I don't know are you in Iowa did you hear the trains yeah, <laughs> Cedar Rapids. Oh, what are you doing up there? Well, I mean, well, I was with you in I was in New York. I was not with you uh, yes. literally, but I was in the same place, waiting for like all of us. We were waiting for the indictment, and then it's like, yeah. So I had one call saying the indictment's not happening, and then five minutes later, it's like get your ass to Iowa because the the latest breaking news is that now Mike Pence is being compelled to testify against Donald Trump in the Jan. Six case. So. We're going to track him down, see if we can get him to talk about it. And, and uh, uh, you know, I expect that he'll he'll do his usual sort of. That is the, what you would expect. What is the play for Pence here? Is there a play for him to break from Trump in a really significant way? Well, he's in the right place to make the break, which is this is the, you know, the, he's the evangelical. Uh, right. Soldier. Exactly. Yeah. Iowa. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So no, the, he, the, he can ante in. He's got chips. He'll get covered. I see obstacles because there's probably newer, fresher people. Tim Scott's running a Facebook ad. We got to play the sound of that. We're talking about his faith in Iowa, but I don't, I don't hoot and holler at the idea. I, I, you know, I, I'm not ruling Pence out yet. 
there's the ultimate conflict, which is, you know, the base will never forgive him. The Trump base. Yeah, yeah Trump so he's, base. Ca- he's caught between a rock and a hard place because the base, the Trump base won't forgive him. And there are others who felt like he waited too long, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep. Everybody's fifth choice. Get the coming and going. Uh, we got some breaking news stories one is a chicago mayor's race one i'm watching very closely as a (laughs) denizen of that great city i'm only involved as a voter (laughs) all right great i couldn't resist it's a perennial (laughs) no you can never resist in fact how many podcasts have we done hannah do you know what number hacks on tap this is she's checking it out i've only voted 190 times so probably not as not as many but let's get to the race because it's fascinating paul vallis is hanging in there I was a little worried that he would slip as the more progressive vote unifies, but Johnson seems to be so much in a Bernie orbit to, and you know, this is your You're behind, world man. You're behind. Yeah. Well, fill me in. Well, this week, this is our 206th episode, so you've made the Chicago voting joke 206 times. Let's keep the streak going, Murphy. <laughs> It'll be 208 in a minute, but keep going. You're going to be in Guinness. I, I, I really feel that's coming. But Johnson... Uh, Brandon Johnson is the young progressive candidate of the teachers union, African-American. Uh, he's made a move this week, and uh, you know most of the polls now have it as an even race. I believe that's where it is. And I can't tell you, as I sit here today, who's going to win that race. Uh, last week, I would have told you I thought Vallis had the edge. Uh, but, you know, momentum is an interesting thing in politics. If you have it at the end, it tends to keep on going. Yep. So... Uh, I just don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think Bernie, uh, Dick Durbin, the uh, the uh, number two uh, Democrat in the Senate, Illinois senator, endorsed Vallis on Sunday. I thought that was kind of big. Yeah, it, Very you know, normally endorsement's overrated, but he, you know, Vallis has been open to attacks that he's a secret cop violence loving closet Republican. I think Durbin, uh, Durbin gives him kind of a stamp of of approval there that might be worth something. Do you disagree? No, I think, and they have him up on the air now, so they th- they agree as well. The whole attack of Johnson has been that Vallis is a closet Republican, right. anti-abortion, and so on. So having the good housekeeping, housekeeping seal of approval is important. I th- I, I think I think I heard Bernie uh, is Bernie uh, is coming to Chicago on Thursday, um, and that will give. Among the, you know, Johnson is doing very well among young white progressive voters, and he's built this coalition. I mean, one poll yesterday had him with, I think, 45% of the white vote. I mean, if that holds up. Yeah, he'll win. He'll I, win. I would just uh, counsel, uh, just be wary of the momentum test because I was a, I was a victim of it recently, which is, I, I like everybody else, of course, thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, except that uh, the last week of that campaign in 16, I was on Megyn Kelly's show and she's like, what do you think? I said, well, you know, like everybody else, but, you know, I've been on the ground a bunch and I, I always like to see where the momentum is in the last week. And it really feels like Trump has some momentum. So that was kind of my one caveat that I, <laughs> my, my lifeboat on, on predictions. But with that, I went into this last election. I was up in New Hampshire in that Senate race and I went and, and Don Bolduck, you know, the Republican nominee was, I mean, it was for the Senate, massive General. crowds yeah. and, and filling these town halls and really excited. And then I went to a Maggie Hassan event. It was like 20 people in a strip mall and no excitement whatsoever. I was like, oh, man, it really feels like a lot of momentum for Don Bowling. And this, this is a different kind of race. It's, it's a mayor's race. And you can see, you know, the stuff on the ground. One thing that happened to Vallis that I think is really damaging. And, I, you know, I, I my thought and I said to one of the Vallis guys recently, you know, if and this is true on both sides, race is such a kind of a, a jagged edge in, in Chicago politics. And I said, if one of your guys goes over the line, uh, that could actually impact on the race. Well, uh, this uh, lunatic head of the Fraternal Order of Police, John Canton Zara, uh, told the New York Times uh, about Johnson. If this guy gets in, we're going to see an exodus like we've never seen before. Canton Zara predicted up to a thousand Chicago police officers could leave their positions if Johnson was to win the election. And Canton Zara is a rabid Trump guy, uh, not the guy you want to be identified with. Uh, you know, Paul Vallis has been at, uh, uh, endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police. Things like that could actually tip an election that is close in Chicago. Question for you. 
other than who are you going to vote for. I'll save that for uh, a private conversation so you don't wind up endorsing anybody. I'm for Vallis. Who's got more left that they don't have? Because I've seen the horse race polling. I haven't seen a poll I consider like gold standard yet. A lot of media polls often done on a budget in a minute. But does Johnson have more voters of color out there saying they're undecided, stuff that ought to break heavily to him. And has Vallis run out the, I've had it with the damn crime and quality of life vote? Is that left? Because I think about 95, 90% of the vote is spoken for. Uh, 45% are in the second category that you mentioned. 45% are in the progressive change, young uh, category. And uh, as to uh, race, you ask a very good question. Um, I think about half the undecideds are older black voters who voted for Lori Lightfoot, the incumbent mayor in the primary, and now uh, are not enthralled by either candidate and are very concerned about crime. And it's yeah. a, it, it is really a big question as to where they go. But, you know. Yeah. Can Vallis get in there? That'll be the issue. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I so I, I don't know what's going to happen in this race. Uh, last week, I would have said I think it's a 52-48 kind of Vallis win. But that's like margin of error stuff. And it could go either way. So that's my courageous prediction. And I stand by <laughs> it. And you can hold me to it. Nobody knows more about Chicago politics than you, David. So I'm going to predict Vallis. Okay. Absolutely. Very little evidence other than I think some of that older African-American vote may vote crime over color. Or sit on their hands. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan, the Michigan Senate Mm. race next year, Jocelyn Benson, the secretary of state who got quite a bit of notoriety uh, around the 2020 election, uh, became a target of the Trumpies, announced that she would not run for the U.S. Senate next uh, year. I think Alyssa Slotkin, the congresswoman from uh, from the Lansing area, uh, is now the clear frontrunner for that seat. The only person in her way uh, in a primary is Hill Harper, who's an actor. But but more than in the Detroit world, he's somebody. African-American actor, community activist. He could catch on in a Democratic primary and start going a bit. And he's very media savvy. He's not a politician. That means he may make bad mistakes. But he's more—he's better than a generic actor. But I agree. Slotkin was like cooked up in a laboratory to win a general election in the Midwest uh, for the Democrats. Moderate, has a national security background, has a good swing district, and can raise money like a demon. So you have to call her front runner. But I, I'm going to watch Hill Harper. I mean, it's important. This primary is important because the, the state of the Republican Party in Michigan is such that whoever wins this primary— and I think it will be Slotkin, will almost, in my view, almost certainly win this seat. Michigan now has the worst state Republican Party in America. Of any That's an amazing state. story, isn't it, Mike? I mean, you, you have so much history It used there. to be a crackerjack outfit. I was there, did a ton of successful statewides in Michigan, from the Supreme Court to governor and senator, you know, multiple angler terms. And it is now, even by Trump wackadoodle standards, an embarrassment. Yeah, it used to be a crackerjack operation. Now they think crackerjack is a deep state, uh, deep state plot. <laughs> so, <laughs> tip your server. The last thing is West Virginia. The Republicans uh, seem to be close to signing up the governor Jim yeah. Justice to run against uh, Joe Manchin. That seems like a pretty big deal here. I mean, yeah. if I'm Manchin and I'm considering what I want to do, he says, "Ah, that doesn't matter to me." It's going to matter to him. It's over. I mean, if 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 he gets uh, yeah, if he gets Kong. in, Mansion's done. Yeah, and, and that's why I've said all along: the Democrats should really thank their lucky stars about Joe Manchin as much as they disagree with him. You know, he's still the fiftieth vote. Yeah, if I were Manchin, I would in, invite the entire Democratic Progressive Caucus to his uh, victory party. Let him stand there in the deflated balloons and confetti and watch justice prevail on election night. Just as a complete aside, isn't it weird that a guy named Manchin lives on a boat? <laughs> so, uh, uh, we have a phone call coming in live from Stephen Wright's lawyers here. <laughs> I think that's in his act. Shouldn't the Air and Space Museum be empty? Uh, and the last note, just Wisconsin, very quick, right? the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. Now, why, if you live anywhere else in America, should you care about the Wisconsin 
Supreme Court race because this particular Supreme Court race, where literally tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars have been spent, will determine the majority on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, uh, which will in turn perhaps uh, hear cases uh, on the maps in that state and break the Republican stranglehold. Uh, there are big implications for abortion uh, because Wisconsin has an 1800s abortion law that now we're, we're going to have to put a disclaimer on this one. But you're right. The stakes couldn't be higher. But it's yeah, tight, though. The here. internal Republican polling, he's never been ahead. But it's been within the margin, the Republican candidate, who was not the preferred candidate, by the way, of the kind of the business smart Republican world there. But it shows I've seen some private polling. It shows how Biden's not a real help out there, too. You know, it's interesting. And so even a pretty weak Republican candidate attacking her relentlessly on crime is in the hunt there. It's yeah. a it's a tight. Well, one. she's a good candidate. But these Wisconsin Supreme Court races are sort of bellwether races, and uh, in addition to everything else. So we'll get a sense of where the state is right now. All right, should we uh, play the music? Let's do it. It's Listener Mailbag. All right, Hackaroos, if you have a question, send it to us at the Hacks on Tap mailbag. All you got to do is send it to our email address, hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate us on all the pod platforms because we make an extra 11 cents that way and more people learn about the podcast. Now a question for David from Blair who asks us, can you hacks please explain what is going on in Israel and the U.S.'s involvement in it? Yes, all hell broke loose in the Holy Land, and uh, this is, uh, you know, we've had, what, five, six elections in Israel over the last few years, back and forth between the coalition led by Bibi Netanyahu, the six-time prime minister of Israel uh, and uh, the coalition of the left, and uh the uh, this coalition that Netanyahu has built is the is is the most conservative, the most right wing in the history of of Israel. And their first initiative, or one of their first initiatives, was to change the way the judicial system works in Israel, and basically giving the government and the uh, the majority in the in the Knesset the ability to over the overrule uh, uh, decisions of the court. They also uh, incidentally, have the ability to set aside the indictment of Netanyahu, who is currently under indictment. If it doesn't sound, fam- if that sounds familiar to anybody, uh, and uh, they were moving forward with this and steamrolling it through the Knesset, and people took to the streets. Uh, Three hundred thousand people in the streets last weekend in a country of nine million, uh, protesting. Uh, the basic the the disenfranchisement of the legislative branch there and under Israel in Israel there's no constitution so uh, the real check on the government and the legislature is a free and independent judiciary uh, so this really does go to the character of Israeli democracy but it's not over all Netanyahu said he would was that he would delay a vote on his plan he didn't say that he'd set it aside so there may still be uh, a lot of unset, uh, you know, a lot of uh, drama in the months to come. As for the U.S.'s role, one thing that we've seen is, I mean, Biden was more outspoken, uh, and our ambassador there was more outspoken uh, about this than uh, American presidents usually are relative to the internal uh, machinations in Israel, uh, and very clearly saying, you know, democracy is important to us. This is at, at the essence of Israel, Israeli democracy. Think about what you're doing. I don't think it meant that much to Netanyahu. I think the a general strike, which was called for Monday, and a lot of people in the streets did mean something to him. He was on the brink of civil war. We'll see where it goes. It's a story worth following. Yeah, I thought a tipping point was when reservist pilots who were the backbone Absolutely. of the Israeli Air Force started saying, you know what, I'm not going to report for duty this weekend. There, There's legitimate criticism of the sweeping power of the Israeli court, but this was so self-interested by Netanyahu, and it was so clumsy. You can't change big systemic things with a steamroller. 
and it blew up in his face and pretty much screwed up his legacy. His legacy might have been tainted a bit by three indictments, but uh, I think his legacy is complicated as it is. But I agree with that, but this really flushed it. The right wing there, the religious parties, uh, have seized on this opportunity to take Israel in a very, very different direction. And that was the price he paid to win the prime ministership back. Uh, And it turns out it was a very high price. So three indictments don't matter in Israel. We'll see if four matter in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris asks, if the Democrats really wanted to stop Trump, wouldn't they encourage Democratic primary voters to vote DeSantis? Well, I think they can find worse than DeSantis uh, to beat in a general election, including Trump. But that's that's playing with nerve gas for the country. The problem, Chris, is this is something that's always cooked up over a few beers by Democratic activists. But it's very, very hard to do because Democrats want to vote in primaries for other Democrats. They want their voice to be heard. So you always see it's been very rare. I've only seen it once in my career where there was significant Democratic crossover vote in a Republican primary, which was when my client, Terry Branstead, the governor of Iowa, had a challenge from Fred Gopher Grandy, who was a congressman from Western Iowa, very popular of Democrats there. And on primary day, there was massive, massive turnout. And, yeah. it, it, you know, we beat them, but it made made it closer than it should be. In fact, a lot of our campaign, when maybe we motivated some of this, we had found out that before we moved to Iowa to run as a Republican for Congress, Fred was a big leader in Democrats for Monday on Hollywood. So our campaign slogan in the primary was Fred Grandy. He's a better actor than you think, you know, that he was a secret Democrat. And maybe we turned out some Democrats. But it is super rare. It is unnatural. A few do it for fun and giggles. But it's not a workable political strategy. Chris, uh, Will Rogers said a long time ago, I don't belong to any organized political party. I'm a Democrat. You ascribe too much to the Democratic Party (laughs) to suggest that they could get that uh, together. They can't even agree whether to take a hybrid or pure electric to the precinct meeting, (laughs) let alone complicated strategy. McKinnon, I can't think of anyone better suited to answer Jared's question who asks, how did you all get your start in the consulting world? I'd like to become one of the behind-the-scenes guys like you. Uh, I'd like to become one of the behind-the-scenes guys like you three, but I'm not sure how to get started. Well, the first thing I want to say to you, Jared, before I throw it to McKinnon is aim higher than to become (laughs) one of us guys. But go ahead, Well, the reason I'm well-suited for this question is because I'm so unqualified, and which (laughs) which is part of the answer to your question, which is the great thing about politics uh, and campaign world is that the bar to entry is very low. There's no degree requirements. There's no, it's, it's not a regulated business. Uh, so uh, there's no degree or license required to, to, be, to get into politics. All there is, all you really need is passion um, and commitment. And what I tell And the ability is, to play the guitar, McKinnon, isn't that, that part helps. of it? That helps. But what I tell anybody, if they're interested in getting into politics, is to do what I did and do what a lot of people I've advised to do, which is, if you're interested, find a cause or a person that you're interested in and believe in, and then just go show up. Show up to that campaign, show up to that uh, that headquarters, and, and get there earlier and stay later than anybody else. And the thing about politics is, yeah, a lot of people are interested. A lot of people want to get in the game, but not a lot of them are smart, ambitious, and willing to work their asses off. And if you can do all three of those things, you'll be the deputy campaign manager within six weeks. The reason I mentioned the guitar, and we should point it out, is yeah. that before he got into all of this, McKinnon used to bounce around with his guitar, played with Chris Christopherson and some others. It must have been fun. Well, I clawed my way to the bottom there first. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's so many different ways. I agree with everything that Mark said, uh, Jared, and um, I got in through journalism. I crossed over from covering politics to participating in politics. That was a great background. Murphy, I think, was offered a choice between prison and uh, <laughs> becoming a political consultant. And on the advice of his lawyer, he became a consultant. <laughs> exactly. And it, that worked out very well for him. But Jared, We encourage you to participate in this great pageant of democracy. We need you. I hope you you will follow through uh, on the sentiment of that question. 
Mark McKinnon, thank you so much. We'll be tuned to the circus on Showtime, and we'll see you and your hat again soon. Kick it hard. Carry on regardless. Always a pleasure. Have fun in Iowa. Don't go crazy there in Cedar Rapids. And uh, we will look forward to whatever you turn up there uh, on Sunday on the circus. Yeah, we'll have some pretty exciting Mike Pence for you Sunday night on the circus. We'll be with you again soon. Thanks, pal. 